BH5! Uh, that was my approximation of my own theme song. Um, hello, welcome to episode something of PH5. I think it's a, we're getting pretty up there. It's a, it's a later one. I think it might be episode eight. Well, okay, let's think about this. I'm currently going over the month of August, which is the eighth month of the year. Uh, and I do these episodes monthly. So one could ascertain that this would be the eighth episode. So welcome to episode eight. Um, that's a weird thing to say. You know, uh, a year ago, I, I didn't even, this wasn't even a, a seed of a thought of an idea in my head. Um, and now I'm eight episodes deep into this strange and wonderful world of podcasting that uh, I, I don't fully understand, but am trying to embrace. Uh, wow, what a month it was, eh? In terms of music, and in terms of, geez, just about everything. Um, hectic shit. The month of August 2021, globally. Uh, let's not get into any of that stuff, because I'm sure you've been bombarded to death with all of the god-awful news that we seem to receive at an ever-increasing rate as time goes on. Um, and luckily we have that wonderful thing we call music to offer us a little bit of salvation from the onslaught of shit that is uh, our daily lives. Um, lots of great albums this month, I've got to say. Um, I could have probably done two or three entire episodes on the month of August alone, um, but I didn't. And in fact, instead of going out of my way to talk about more albums, this week we're actually going to talk about less. <laughs> Seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? Well, that's, uh, that's PH5 for you, you know? Just, you never know what you're going to get. I'm very excited about this month's episode because we are going to have another guest. Yes, that's right. Um... Instead of me just self-indulgently rambling to myself for an hour, um, you get to listen to someone else be the victim uh, of my indulgence for a little while as well. So, on this episode, I have my classmate and very good friend, are you ready for this? Phil joining me. His name is Phil Mass. He's a good friend of mine that I met in school. Um, very smart guy and very in tune to the world of hip-hop, which is why I thought it'd be a great idea to have him in to talk about the latest releases by Kanye West and Drake. So, not only are we having our second ever guest appearance in this episode, but we're breaking a cardinal rule of PH5 in this episode because the Drake album technically came out in September. But we're gonna talk to it, talk to it, 
talk about it. We'll talk to it is another way you can describe what we'll be doing. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Drake album in an episode that focuses on August. You know what? Again, it's like I said a few minutes ago. Who knows what you're going to get? You know, rules are made to be broken. But anyway, I'm really excited to have him in. Uh, like I said, he's a smart guy. And he loves hip-hop probably more than I do at this point in my life. And that's why I wanted to have him in. Because I wanted to get someone else's take on these records. Because they're obviously monumental records here in... Uh, this wild year um, with Kanye West's Donda. I think so far having the biggest sales, first uh, opening sales week of the year with, um, I think it was like just over 300,000 copies sold. And then um, Drake certified lover boy coming in to have one of the biggest opening weeks um, in, in a very long time. And I'm really excited because there is a possibility that Drake is going to nab all 10 spots on the top Billboard 100 with this record, which is a feat you can't even really like wrap your head around. Like it, it's, it's fucking mind-boggling the dominance that this guy has at this point in his career. Uh, Phil and I haven't discussed the albums with each other at all, so... Everything that you hear, all the reactions, all the takes, all the tea, is all going to be completely fresh and uh, just boiled and steeped. Um, trying to tie in the tea reference. Um, so I'm excited about that. I'm really excited about that. I've been dying to hear what he thinks about the records. I've been dying to talk to them about someone for a while. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and I mean, him and I are basically the Drake and Kanye of, I was going to say Toronto. I guess Drake is the Drake of Toronto. Um, of, you know, our little circle of people we know. So it's kind of fitting that we're talking about them since maybe not uh, financially, but I'd say ideologically, we have a lot in common with them. So the way that this episode is going to work, I'll talk about, we're going to keep those the, the top five in, of course, it wouldn't be Phil's five without the five, otherwise it would just be Phil's, <laughs> no one wants to hear that. Um, so I'll talk about the first few, and then we will jump to our uh, guest discussion, or guest lecture, sorry I've been brainwashed by uh, my education. And then we will finish up with the final two records of August. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited. And I hope you guys are too. Thanks for tuning in. This was a long-winded intro. I'm pretty caffeinated, you can probably tell. And I'm feeling fantastic. It's Labor Day. Uh, shouts out to all the unions who made the weekends possible, the 40-hour work weeks possible. Today is all about celebrating you guys. Um, that's for all the idiots out there that didn't know what the fuck Labor Day is all about. Um, go unions. Anyway, enough of this. Let's get to it, shall we? Phil's five. Let's rock and roll.
All right, so number five for August 2021. We have the record for Nobody Nowhere by Raccoon City. Um, no, the fictional town of Raccoon City from the Resident Evil series didn't come together to make an album uh, cataloging their various horrors and run-ins with infected zombie-like people. No, uh, Raccoon City is a band out of Australia who uh, either... I don't really know if raccoons live in Australia. I should have one of my interns look that up for me. Um, likely they were inspired by the Resident Evil series. Uh, there is definitely a sense of um, terror, if you will, to their music that uh, really comes through on their debut album, which this is. So Raccoon City are ostensibly a screamo band. They occasionally veer into uh, post-hardcore. But what I find really special about them is that they are very true to Screamo's roots. You have a lot of these newer bands nowadays that have this new approximation of Screamo, which I, I've covered a few of them already um, on this uh, podcast, including um, For Your Health, uh, even Wrist Meets Razor definitely has elements of Screamo in it, but it's kind of a modern take on it that blends a whole bunch of different other genres uh, into the mix as well. And what I really liked about the Raccoon City record was that it, it's it's true to Screamo's roots, and those roots I'm talking about 90s bands like uh, Page 99, uh, City of Caterpillar, just these really intense, emotional, hardcore bands uh, that really made a certain subsection of the youth culture feel alive like no other genre did at the time. Uh, it's, it's, it's really impressive how they do it because you can tell just by listening that these aren't old guys, this is a, a bunch of kids. So for a bunch of presumably young 19, 18 year olds to be able to mine a sound that they probably weren't even really alive to hear, let alone be in its heyday, is really impressive and it is really true to Screamo's roots. Um, now that being said, it does tie in a lot of elements of post-hardcore as well. So you do get a lot of more um, melodic, hooky choruses that come in. Um, this one song near the end of the album, it almost has what I'm going to very, very hesitantly and gently call an almost, like, rap outro. Um, I only call it that because it's a... the way that he sings is very rhythmic and it Reminds me a lot of this kind of a uh, crossover punk rap music that's uh, extremely popular, and I, I touched on last episode with uh, this bizarre Travis Barker resurgence that we're seeing in popular music right now. Uh, but it kind of approaches it from the other way, where 
instead of a hip-hop artist interpolating pop-punk, you actually see like a band, uh, like a, a solid, true-to-the-roots, hardcore band, interpolating a little bit of uh, modern hip-hop flows and bringing that into this one section. And if this was something that they did throughout the album, it'd be kind of a tired thing to do, for sure. But they only do it once. Uh, it's very tasteful. And I'd say tasteful is a great way to describe this record in general. Um, it has all those key touch points of early screamo, uh, but with some really crisp, pristine modern production. Um, a lot of kind of modern post-hardcore hooks that can really draw you in and keep you interested. And this was one of those records that I've never heard of this band before in my life. And it just completely came out of nowhere. I downloaded it on a whim. And I think this was from the first week of... The first week of August. There was a whole slew of, of, of what I thought were going to be amazing releases that came out that weekend. We had a new Liars album. We had the new Foxing album. Just a, a whole bunch of great records. Um, but this was ultimately the one that I kept coming back to. So, impressive feat to hold my attention, especially in the midst of a bunch of other kind of heavy hitter releases. So, coming in at number five, we have... What fuck? What's it called? I'm, I'm, I always do this. I'm so sorry. Number five, For Nobody Nowhere by Raccoon City. Great debut record, very promising young band. Um, keep an ear out. All right, so number four for August is Halsey's If I Can't Have Love, I Want Power. Um, wow, a Halsey record ended up on PH5. If you had told 20... I don't know. When did that song come out? 2017 or whatever, Phil, that I would be raving about a Halsey record a few years down the line on a podcast, I would have laughed at you for multiple reasons. Um, but mostly because... Who would have seen that coming? Certainly not me. So this record is... Well, what caught my attention about this record initially, and what caught a lot of people's attention, was when it was announced, uh, like a few months ago, or whatever it was, it was announced alongside of the fact that the record was entirely produced by Nine Inch Nails. Um, Nine Inch Nails now being the partnership between Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. And these are the, the two guys that have worked on a lot of, at this point now, award-winning film soundtracks, along with this kind of late-era Nine Inch Nails music that has been pretty solid, all things considered. But when she announced that this record was going to be produced by them, I mean, I don't think anyone out there wasn't shocked. Like, Nails are producing a pop record like okay um and i think it's a testament to the goodwill that uh trent reznor specifically has built up over the years that 
I think everyone's initial reaction was surprise and then intrigue, you know? I don't really think anyone out there thought, oh, this is going to be terrible or, oh, there's no way this is going to work. I think we all kind of knew that he could do it. Um, I mean, if you really think about it for a long stretch of time there, Nine Inch Nails was an industrial pop band. Like, we know Trent can write hooks. We know he can make poppy music that can dominate the charts. So to see him kind of turn those pop instincts onto another artist, um, very intriguing stuff. She uh, was pretty clever about the album rollout itself. She released like a, a really, really brief teaser, just kind of letting people know that the album was coming, that it was produced by uh, Reznor and Ross. And, and that was basically it. She released an album cover uh, where she is bearing one of her breasts on it, which is sick. Um, sick because, uh, you know, it's the whole statement about breastfeeding should be normalized in society. I'm not saying it's sick because I got to see Halsey's boob. Um, no, that's nothing to do with it. Um, and anyway, that was basically it. No singles, no tradition. It was definitely an extremely untraditional album rollout, especially for a pop artist that, you know, that's what Halsey is at the end of the day. Um, but again, I think Halsey's another artist that has built up goodwill, at least in my books, that I was never worried that it wasn't gonna work and I never I it just kind of made sense like I can't think of any other pop star out there who would make a record produced by Nine Inch Nails like she's the obvious candidate if it was gonna be anyone um I was admittedly a huge sucker for her song Without Me you guys remember that song? Thinking you can live without me. Will I get copyrighted over singing that? I don't think so. I'm not sure how that works. I should know. I took an entire class on it. Um, I loved that song. And before that, I was very wary of Halsey. You know, like this, you know, quote unquote, alt appearing pop star who's really just making pretty standard traditional pop songs. Um, but then that song kind of changed it for me and, and her subsequent record uh, that Without Me was featured on, um, Manic, which came out the very beginning of 2020, was actually, it wasn't bad. I mean, I listened to it, I enjoyed it, I never once went back to it, but I mean, all things considered, I could tell that she was she was trying to do something different with that record and, and reaching for new sounds and whatnot. So, you know, she, she kind of got in my good books after that. So my, my whole point of all this is that I was excited for this record. I was excited to see what it would sound like. Oh shit, hold on. Air show. I think that's the air show. How about the fucking air show? Am I right? Like, who's this for? Like, Okay, honestly, if any of you listeners 
genuinely enjoy the air show this is no judgment can you please just reach out to me and explain what you like about it again no judgment i just want to understand what the appeal is okay and then maybe i can come around to enjoying it too because as of now i just think it's the most fucking obnoxious thing one could possibly ever witness um especially given the context of you know climate change and and all of the kind of uh terrible bullshit that's happening basically everywhere it's like yeah we're gonna do an air show anyway i am going off topic here halsey right the record um so i think a good way to kind of frame this album i was talking to a friend about it the morning that it came out and i was telling her i was really excited to listen to it and she was like oh you you mean halsey from the chain song like really phil um i really wish she hadn't done that song because i feel like she's so 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 much cooler than that god awful song and those god awful chain smoker douchebags like you know, I, I get it, you know, it was probably a, a clutch career move for her. And, I mean, it went to number one, and I'm pretty sure it was there for a while. So, you know, good look for her. But, fuck, that song was so bad, and those guys just suck so much. So, it just bums me out that she ended up kind of being associated with those guys, because, like, there's so much more to her than that one terrible song. And that is evident right off the bat from this record so i guess i should probably talk about the actual album itself eh? i think i've spent like almost 10 minutes now talking about everything but the actual music um so the album finally came out again no advanced single or anything and i can see why there is there's no real single on this record uh which is a really really interesting move again by someone who is the she's a pop star like that's kind of her bread and butter is the pop world and, and and the pop world is ruled by singles so it's a singles market streaming market but there's no singles on this album this album is meant as a full-length experience and that's kind of accentuated by the fact that it was released with like a movie um which i still haven't seen i i, I do want to see it though and so you listen to this album, there's no singles, so what's going on here then? Um, it's a really cool record that kind of flows through moods and again, really needs to be experienced from start to finish. Uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross do a fantastic job of building this atmosphere and Halsey does an amazing job of, of kind of blending into Nine Inch Nails' world because this is for sure more in the vein of Nine Inch Nails' music than anything that Halsey has ever done in the past. Like, it's definitely more a Nine Inch Nails record with Halsey's songwriting on top of it rather than you know, those guys trying to bend to her style of music. Um, there are really, you know, moody, atmospheric piano pieces, really interesting percussion choices throughout the record. 
Um, a lot of kind of almost even lo-fi, uh, alt-rock tracks, grungier songs. And it shows that she, if she really wanted to, she could fully transition into being a rock star. She sounds amazing over these uh, kind of rock bass instrumentals that uh, Reznor and Ross have put together for her. And, I mean, the album isn't perfect by any means. It's still the work of someone kind of operating within the confines of pop songwriting and, and, and pop structures. So there's nothing too wildly experimental on here, like we've seen with a lot of uh, the later Nine Inch Nails work, but the whole thing just kind of works. And having listened to the previous Halsey albums in the past, it sounds like she was always kind of striving to get to this point and to make this sound. And she was just never really able to get there. So uh, I'm so happy that, I mean, I would love to know what the circumstances were that led to this album's inception. Like, did she reach out to them? Did they reach out to her? Was it just some label bullshit? Probably that's what it was, let's be honest. Um, but whatever it is, it both artists feel really at home with each other. And the result is this really powerful, beautiful record about womanhood and, and, and motherhood and, and, and what it's like to um, be a woman, a pregnant woman in this world and, you know, dealing with sexuality in terms of that and... Sorry, I, I need to clarify myself. Uh, Halsey does identify as um, a she slash they, so I, I don't, I use woman pretty lightly here. Uh, a person in this world. So, really cool listen, one of the most unexpected delights of the year, for sure, in terms of the sound and just how well it worked. Um, it's definitely one of those things that could have been a massive misfire and, and been kind of a black mark on the records of both Nine Inch Nails and Halsey, but it works. It, it works surprisingly well, and personally, I'm hoping that this leads to more Nine Inch Nails produced pop albums. Um, you know? Could be cool if they take the sound, move it even further. I read a comment somewhere that was like, imagine if Trent Reznor became the next Jack Antonoff. Oh my god, please. Like, <laughs> I would kill for a fucking Lana Del Rey Nine Inch Nails produced record. That'd be bonkers. Anyway, coming in at number four is Halsey's If I Can't Have Love, I Want Power. Number three for August 2021 is Def Heaven's Infinite Granite. Now this record is, in some circles, easily the most controversial record of the year. Um, 
for those of you who don't know who Def Heaven are, a uh, little bit of context for you. Uh, they've always been controversial. They've been controversial since they first came into the spotlight uh, a number of years ago with their record Sunbather. Because they took the sound of black metal and they infused that kind of sky-high sensibility of shoegaze, melded it together to create this genre called black gaze. And sorry, I just want to quick aside, Def Heaven did not invent black gaze. That would be bands like Alcest. But what Def Heaven did was they really brought it into the kind of indie world's eye with Sunbather. Um, it was an incre absolutely incredible record, and they deserved all the hype that they got for that album. Because um, it really expertly combined the kind of ferocity and intensity of black metal with the kind of swirling soundscapes of shoegaze, and with a really kind of unconventional, yet compelling subject matter of, you know, comparing one's class to another and, and, and dealing with uh, drug addiction and, and lots of really interesting themes explored in the album. It blew them up. It kind of brought black metal to the indie masses and it pissed off an insane amount of metalheads. Um, I think black metal is one of those genres that is just so coveted and it's just so like gatekeeped by those people that listen to it that if you even try and tweak it a little bit to make it more palatable you're gonna get a lot of angry people and I mean let's keep in mind here black metal was started by people who literally went around and burned down churches and like killed each other and like took pictures of people's blown off heads and made them into album covers. So like, these are people uh, with a fair amount of angst and if you piss them off, they're gonna make sure you know about it. So yeah, it was very controversial when it came out. It was widely acclaimed, but also widely maligned by a lot of uh, those really serious metal guys. Regardless, it, it kind of like I said, blew them up, got them to headlining slots at festivals where you would never imagine metal-sounding bands to ever play before. And it really did a lot for this whole genre of heavy music mixed with shoegaze and inspired a shit ton of other bands to make similar-sounding records. Um, but Def haven't always stayed ahead of the game. They're geniuses that way there's uh, Dev, uh sun by the bather was technically their second record uh the third record new bermuda incorporated a lot more um traditional death metal sounds into the mix um another amazing record those last two songs on new bermuda are like some of my all-time favorite songs um but then their last record well before infinite granite um, ordinary Corrupt Human Love is where they kind of lost me. Um, 
At that point, they started to integrate a lot of classic rock type sounds into the songwriting. Um, and it just didn't quite hit for me. Uh, a lot of people still loved it. But I'm just generally not a classic rock kind of guy. I think that shit is hokey as fuck. Um, so it just, it didn't sit well with me. And I was, I was really disappointed because I really love these guys. I, I've been blown away by them kind of consistently since Sunbather came, Sunbather came out. So this was kind of a letdown. Um, but what they started doing on that record was integrating more clean vocals into their mix. Um, up until this point, George Clark, their vocalist, primarily done the high-pitched, you know, typical black metal shrieking that, uh, I mean, you can kind of imagine in your head right now, sounds like, sounds like a, a, a banshee or like a monkey dying or something like that. Um, but on that last record, they started bringing in more clean vocals, whether that was guest vocals from Chelsea Wolfe, or even George taking a few turns at singing himself. And so they were kind of in this transitional point at that record, which is, I think, why it maybe wasn't as strong as some of their past records, because they hadn't quite landed on the band that they wanted to be yet. They were still kind of that old Deaf Heaven, and they were still, but they were trying to be this new Deaf Heaven, kind of at the same time didn't quite work. It's like, you gotta be one or the other. Um, so Infinite Granite is where they fully become that new deaf heaven that they were hinting at on that last record. So, wow, I remember when the first initial single for this dropped and it was a big, big deal. The whole thing was like, everybody brace yourselves, like, Deaf Heaven's clean vocal, like, soft record is coming, whether you like it or not, you know, so get ready for it. And they released the first single, uh, Great Massive Color, and I remember listening to it and being like, oh, no, 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 like, this is gonna just suck, like, everything that I liked about this band is now gone, you know, their edge, their, um virtuosity that kind of you know searing emotion that really makes you feel something when you're listening to them it's all been replaced by you know kind of simple riffs and and, and singing and and the, the the single didn't really do anything for me so i was expecting a major disappointment i was wrong i was that was incredibly wrong this has probably got to be one of my biggest surprises of the year because this record is amazing. Um, and that single, again, you just kind of need to hear it in context of the rest of the record and it all just kind of makes sense. So the thing about this album is it isn't any less epic than any of their previous albums have been. The riffs still reach for the skies, um, the guitar tones and effects are still very shoegaze and very just kind of enveloping you in sound, but again the main difference is 
the well the intensity of the instrumentation um, and the vocals. I think the big question coming into Infinite Granite was, can George actually sing? You know, if we're going to be making an entire record based around the fact that he's going to be singing and doing clean vocals, the guy's got to A, be able to actually sing, and B, he's got to be able to write some some good songwriting, some good hooks, right? Because as soon as you introduce clean singing, the whole conceit of your band kind of changes and now becomes focused around those vocals. Uh, you could argue in all the previous bands, very black metal oriented record, and even any band's black metal records, the vocals are just kind of just another element in the mix. Um, just another kind of textural piece in the soundscape. You're, you're more focused on uh, the, you know, tremolo riffing or the, you know, insane blast beats. It's, it's, it's all kind of more democratic. But once you start singing, you know, we as people, that's what we focus on because that's the most human element we can relate to is actual vocals and words and melodies. So the guy had a lot of pressure, and fortunately, I'd say he he nails it. He, he hits it out of the park, and I'm kind of wondering, you know, why haven't they been singing this whole time? Um, what I think makes this a win is the fact that George is a very unique vocalist. Um, his singing doesn't really sound like anyone else's. It's, it's kind of nasally tenor. And he could have easily just, you know, done some falsetto thing or done some kind of soulless baritone or whatever, but he, he really just leans into the eccentricities of his voice. And it works perfectly with... Uh, these amazing kind of instrumental soundscapes that the rest of the band are willing to uh, conjure. The album art, I think, is really indicative of what this record sounds like. It... I'm gonna sound like one of those, uh... synesthetic douchebags right now, but, uh... Like, the record sounds... blue. The guitar tones sound very blue and very airy and uh like chilly but not uninviting if that makes any sense and the one thing that i think also makes this record go above and beyond because ostensibly what it is at this point it's just a shoegaze indie record um the songs have verses and choruses like it, it, it's pretty standard songwriting at this point, obviously with a lot of flourishes, but pretty standard stuff. But what sets it apart, again, is um, the guitar playing that, that retains a lot of that epic Death Heaven sound. George's really unique vocal delivery. And I've never really been like a technical guy. Like, I'm not listening to music for 
how well someone's playing their instrument. I don't really care about that. Like what matters to me in music is, am I hearing something interesting? Am, am, I, am I feeling emotion based off of what I'm hearing right now? Like those are the things that I care more about rather than like, can that guy like play his guitar well, you know? I don't care, man. Um, that being said, the drumming on this record is outstanding and it really adds a lot of life to these songs. Um, the drumming is almost like your lead instrument in a lot of in, uh, cases on these songs because the drumming patterns and, and complex rhythms that the drumming uh, the drummer conjures is, is just really unique and keeps the song interesting almost in every single track. Uh, I forget the drummer's name, but he's always been a fantastic drummer. But again, in the past, in black metal records that they've made, you kind of expect to hear really good drumming, if that makes any sense. You know, like one of the big backbones and foundations of black metal is blast beats. And you need to be a, a really fucking sick drummer to be able to pull off blast beats. Um, so you kind of take it for granted, but on this record, I mean, there are there's like one instance of blast beats, I think, in the very last song where everything kind of explodes and they become a metal band for two minutes once again. Absolutely incredible conclusion to the album, by the way. Worth listening to the whole album through just for those last two minutes. It'll fucking blow you away, I promise you. Um, but you know, no longer making this kind of black metal style of music. He's more open to new rhythms and new drumming techniques. And he really just leaves it all out on the floor in this record. And uh, any drummers out there, listen to this album. This is how you make rock songs sound interesting with your drums. You know, this is how you carry a song with your drumming. It's a great example of that. Anyway. The record's amazing. Um, in Blur, which is the second song of the album, probably one of my favorite songs of the year. Um, chorus almost sounds like Tears for Fears, which, if you know anything about Deaf Heaven before this, should be a pretty fucking mind-boggling thing to hear, but it's true, it does. And, again, the decision to make this clean vocal record, make this quote-unquote softer record would was a very risky move on behalf of these guys likely to alienate and leave a lot of people in the dust um i know pitchfork i, I hate bringing them up but they've been really championing these guys throughout the years uh sunbather 8.9 um new bermuda 9 uh, Ordinary Corrupt Human Love, 8.5. They gave this album a 6.5. Just to give you an example of how divisive it is within uh, kind of the indie sphere, the metal universe. But I think it's a grand success. I think they killed it. And um, good for them for taking the risk because I will say with my chest that it paid off. So... Number three, Deaf Heaven, Infinite Granite. 
Hello everyone, and uh, you just missed myself and my guest star, <laughs> we're gonna call him for today's episode, Grunting, like a bunch of fucking woolly mammoths after <laughs> we just had a sip of this delicious otherworldly beverage, is, what's it called again, Bumboo? I mean, should we give that up without a sponsorship deal or something? I don't remember what it was called at all. It Good is Bumboo, point. it is Bumboo, but... It is, oh, perhaps. I'll have to censor that part out. Yeah. As we yeah, attempt to, that. <laughs> yeah, we need to get that sponsorship. Um, rent will be due again someday. Um, I'm here with Phil Mass, a good friend and classmate of mine currently. And uh, as promised, we're going to talk about Kanye West's Donda and Certified Lover Boy by Drake. Uh, I can't tell what's more anticipated this year. Um, the drop of these albums, or you and I discussing them? <laughs> well, I think certainly for everyone else, it's the albums, but I mean... That might change. <laughs> that that might, might change, yeah, definitely with these opinions, right? Exactly, they're going to hear yeah. this, and uh, instead of listening to those albums, they're probably just going to cut out this part of the podcast and listen to us talk about exactly. them instead. Yeah. yeah. So, we've purposefully, over the past week or so, not disclosed our respective opinions on these records. Uh, obviously, this has been harder to do for Donda, because that's been out for over a week now. And, yeah. well, Drake just a few days. Yeah, definitely. But I know that I am so excited to finally get down and talk about these albums with you. It's about time, yeah. It's about time. <laughs> You're the guy I was definitely probably the most interested in hearing the opinion of, because you have a, a, a deep respect and understanding of rap music. So definitely, definitely. I want to hear from someone who really gets it, what their take on these albums are. So why don't we start with Donda? Yeah, well, I mean, we waited forever for it. Um, definitely there's theatrics going up, leading up to it, a lot of games, trolling. I try to tune that out. I just wait for the music, and for me, that's what I let do the talking. Um, and yeah, I mean, overall, uh, I liked it a lot. It was, I found it was an evolution of Jesus King with more replay value. That's something I'll come back to later. Like, I'm still worried about the replay value. Um, but definitely, um, it, it is bloated. I'm not gonna pretend like it oh, isn't. Yeah. Um, it's got, <laughs> yeah, it's more bloated than College Dropout. I mean, that one had like seven skits, five, six skits. I mean,. <laughs> I mean, yeah, um, and at one point also when you're doubling songs, I, I kind of like it because I'm someone that collects like these alternate versions that end up leaking after the album, but... I've seen this guy's iTunes, he's yeah. right. It's like, he doesn't have any real albums on there, it's just yeah. like random Lucy's and shit. Exactly. So, I mean, I kind of appreciate it for that reason because he actually just gave it to me, but at the same time, I don't want to hear the same song twice on an album, right? And I did like the Ty Dolla one better than Junior Part 1, let's say. For example okay i did like the jesus um let me get the name exactly what was it he's a uh, jesus he, lord part two that the album's so long you just had to open up itunes to like scroll through the yeah. track list to see the track and True. it took like it took seconds which doesn't sound like a lot but in the moment it felt like an eternity yeah yeah um no it was definitely bloated i mean track by track 
I'd say I, I'd probably keep 10 or 12 out of these. Um, this could have easily been 16 songs, but having said that, the ones I do like definitely carry the album. Um, definitely an album of moments. I thought it almost played like a Broadway, actually. Like, I could have seen a screenplay to it. I could have seen all that play out just with the, the way the keys are played, the chords, the structure of it, the rising and the falling. It's very clearly defined with the choirs. I, I feel like it could have been a big production. And honestly, it makes me excited to see it live. Because I think it's going to be an amazing show, whatever he does with it. Um, that's an interesting take on it. You're right. It is almost kind of like an opera that moves in, in passages and, and kind of flows. Um, and I think a lot of that is because of uh, the sonics of the album, too. It's very uh, kind of almost like it, it drones and it's very ambient at times. And there's not a ton of actual percussion and um, it's very easy to get lost in. Super minimalist, like it's hard to find definitely the rhythm and some, the flow. Um, but yeah, I, overall, what would you think? Um, okay, uh, <laughs> I'm glad you asked. Yeah. Uh, so you, you mentioned, you know, the, the whole spectacle around the whole album leading up to it. Yeah. Um, and you said that you try to block that out, which, like, I wish I could, mm -hmm. you know? I really wish I could, but, yeah. you know, as someone who has been following Kanye for so long and has been a fan for so long, it's just like, it just, he just really fucking pisses me off sometimes with all this bullshit, Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, I feel like the past basically 15 years of this guy's career, it's just been him fucking up, doing some dumb shit, and then like publicly kind of apologizing and publicly building back goodwill. And then once he builds it back, he just ruins it all over again and then builds it back. And it's just been this cycle for like, honestly, it feels like 15 years now almost of just kind of going through this with Kanye. And like he does something crazy and it's the apology tour and the comeback story. Exactly. And, and, and is that over and over and over again, right? Cyclical. Almost but, intentional, some would say. Oh, for sure. For <laughs> sure. Although, like, any other artist, I'd be like, for sure. But I actually genuinely think that he's just so crazy that, like, he can't really help himself. Yeah, maybe in part. Um, but that's kind of a reason why I think Kanye is such a fascinating artist and why he's still so popular, even after all these years. Is I mean, this guy's a billionaire now, right? But... Like, he's got to be probably the most unpredictable billionaire you can fathom, right? Like, I this mean, guy... Yeah. Him and Elon Musk are right up there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, he rented out a room in the basement of the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. That I love. That's, like, the big-budget version of what he's doing with, like, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy when he's going to Hawaii or, like, Jesus in Paris. But Definitely, yeah. It's, um, it's just such, like, a... You never really know what you're going to get with this guy, yeah. and for better, for worse, for sure. Definitely. Um, and I think that's really exemplified on the album, too. Like, there are so many great, amazing moments in this album that are, I'd say, up there with some of the best of his whole career. Like, like Jail, the song, I think yeah. is an incredible song, um, you know. Off the Grid, great track. Off the Grid, I think Fivio uh, or Fivio had 
probably the best verse on the whole album. Oh, for sure, yeah. We definitely want to talk about the features <laughs> yeah. in a minute because yeah, I think the features are the best part of the record. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of there are a lot of these great moments, um, but then there's also a lot of like not great moments too. I'd say like the um, that song that's just like the terribly mixed verse from Pop Smoke that's just randomly on there for yeah, whatever that one reason. was already on Pop's album in the first yeah, place. Yeah, exactly. So, like and why? better mixed and better like, <laughs> like you didn't hear the high hat like you didn't hear. Pops headphones bleeding into his vocals. Exactly. And now right. you do. So I I don't get it, but I I do respect the the pop smoke interlude style. For sure. But yeah. You know it's he he definitely had a vision and um he lived up to that vision at times. But mm-hmm. I, again, it's it's an almost two hour long album. Um, everything leading up to it, like you would almost expect given all the circumstances surrounding the album's release and the fact that it's so long like you would almost you almost need it to be this incredible album but i i personally i I think it's all right yeah but i don't think it's that incredible album that it, it should be so in my eyes it's um I honestly, I, I think it's kind of a failure in that way, you know, like hmm. this grand two hour long album named after his mom, unfortunately, like of all these songs, how many realistically are you going to be listening to just to go back to your yeah. um, replay value comment from well, before? That was, that was it. I was listening to it. And honestly, like in my opinion, I mean, at least you can't debate the musical quality of it or sure. sorry, you obviously always can when it comes down to taste, but in my opinion, that is uh, like on full display his his genius in that sense yeah um but I again like that. jesus it was on full display on jesus king but i didn't i never heard that outside like i didn't go to a single party a single club a single bar a single person's house party whatever that no, jesus king was playing <laughs> you weren't at any of the christian mingle parties that's oh, why i know man. i mean i should you get know. out there more i guess but <laughs> that album was fire yeah. at harriet in judah's house last yeah exactly spring or whatever the fuck yeah i mean so I am concerned a bit in a similar sense, like that it'll have the same kind of, it'll age the same way. Uh, but I definitely do have more songs that I know I'll come back to. Um, Junior's cool. It's a bit rough. I, I am expecting him to come back and mix it again. Oh, he kind of like he did yeah. with uh, Pablo there. Yeah. Um, I mean, I saw the meme somewhere that uh, this is like the religious cousin, the the Christian cousin of. The life of Pablo and I kind of feel that way but this is more bloated but time will Definitely. tell and I, I give that asterisk to all my opinions right now is that I have to live with and still absorb this but so far that's definitely been been my opinion and kind of on the note of life of Pablo I would say that this is probably his best album since life of Pablo I mean not oh, including kids see ghost yeah kids see ghost was definitely a, a standout in modern Kanye history yeah but I think it's fair to say that this is better than Yay and Definitely. Jesus is King. Definitely. I mean, um, yeah, it feels like those albums combined in terms of the mental health and the religion. Definitely. And better executed. So, I mean, I would have taken this over both of those a year ago, maybe. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mentioned the features. I want to talk about those because yep. I honestly, like, listening to this album sometimes, I feel like the worst part of the album is Kanye himself. 
you know, like everyone that he brings onto these tracks is giving it their A plus, and you know that these artists know that what an amazing opportunity it is to be on a Kanye West song, and they always give it their all, and I, I think you you see that on these songs. Like we talked about the Fivio Foreign verse, which yeah. is probably out there for one of the best verses of the year at this point. Definitely, I mean, it's crazy. Tyler definitely put some good ones down on his album, but I mean. In terms of like this major exposure, not that Tyler isn't, yeah. Fabio definitely stepped up to the plate. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I really like the uh, the Baby Keem verse. I think it's silly, but it's fun. I enjoy it. All the Playboy Cardi, like he, he he's so good at coming onto a track, even if he's on it for like ten seconds, like leaving his mark. Yeah. You know. Yeah. That's um, on uh, Junior. You're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Junior. Or on off the grid. Off the grid. Yeah. Um, he had that extended verse in the part two. Like, like that's yep. what I'm saying. I would have taken the extended verse with the Tidal assigned verse mm-hmm. over, like, the, the first Junior next to it. I'd rather just listen to part two the whole time, every time. What do you think about Jail Part Two? <laughs> oh, Jail Part Two, I mean. <laughs> jail Part Two. I was uh, just happy we still got the Jay Z verse. I was worried for a second that he wasn't going to put it on, so. For I'm, sure, right? Yeah, yeah. But, Although, I mean, the Jay Z verse is. Uh, <laughs> It's alright, I mean, it fits. He he didn't mail it in, because Jay-Z doesn't mail stuff in, but it definitely felt like Kanye called him the night before the show, yeah. said, I need a verse from you. He rushed it, didn't yeah. you know, put too much thought into it. It's but. still just nice to hear him on a song with Kanye, though. Yeah, know? I'm never going to complain about hearing Jay. Right? Yeah. Um. So if you had to really define your feelings about this album in, in a coherent concise way right what do you think about this record in um, terms of as it stands in comparison to the rest of his discography and just generally that music that you've heard this year i mean i think it's some of the it's the most experimental mainstream release that i've probably heard like mainstream as in major label big budget everything it's definitely the most experimental thing I've heard probably in the past couple of years. Um, I don't think it's going to necessarily set the tone or reset the the landscape sonically like Yeezus did or like 808s and Heartbreak did before. Um, I actually think this is a good template for Chance to explore, if anything. Um, Interesting. And I was surprised that he wasn't on this at all in credit or vocally. Yeah, very good point. Um, but overall, coherently, I would place it uh, definitely ahead of Ye, um, ahead of Jesus King, and then probably somewhere tied with uh, Life of Pablo, um, probably just below it, because okay. I do prefer the subject matter of Life of Pablo. It's a bit more relatable to me. Okay, actually, quick note on the subject matter. Yeah. Another thing that... I guess took away from this album for me personally that maybe is just a completely personal thing is I I just found the like like I hate to say it almost but like I found the Christian stuff to be kind of grating after a while you know like yeah yeah I mean like <laughs> over a couple of songs alright yeah like, like he was doing in uh, College Dropout I mean. You do a bit more than just like one Jesus walks, but still, like at one point, 
But then again, he's just the kind of guy that's gonna make art for himself, right? It's true. It's true. And it's what he true. thinks is best. But I don't think he has too many sights set on mass appeal. Not anymore. Definitely not like let's say Drake. Yeah. You know, they're playing different games. He's just trying to put the art. Like his goal is always to evolve the art form. I don't think this did that. I don't think he meant to do it with this. I think part of it was also him trying to spite Drake deep down. That still exists. That whole storyline. Um, I do think part of it is marketing, but I still do think deep down he just tried to fuck it with his numbers. <laughs> um, Interesting. And yeah, I feel like the album lacks a bit of focus from that, to be honest. I don't think he was doing it to put music out or because he had much to say. Okay, okay. Yeah, I agree with that too. I, I feel like he doesn't really say much on this record, you know? Yeah. Compared to what we know he's capable of saying. Yeah. And. I, I honestly, I just miss the abrasive, like, like, dirty, put my fist in her is like a civil rights sign yeah, on you sometimes, yeah. you know? It was like, you listen to this guy rap and he would say some things and you'd be like, dude, what the fuck, man? Yeah. And like, I miss that, you know? He's, he's definitely grown up, he's matured, and, you know, good for him, but I, you know. I'm okay with the art form changing, but, yeah. I think I'm gonna go back to it though. I still will. Just it'll be more of a headphone listen more than out with people or stuff like that. Definitely. Yeah. But and how about you? Like how do you place it compared to the other ones? I'm curious. Yeah, I I would definitely put it above the last two, but that's probably where it'll stay for me. Yeah. Um. There are maybe yeah probably three or four songs that I will you know, keep in rotation, go back to over time, okay. but... What's your, like, number one off of it for you? Um, right now, I'm really into, uh, the song with Roddy Rich. Yeah, Pure Souls. Pure Souls. That's a nice one. That's, like, Graduation Era. Yeah. I like that. I yeah. love it. I love Roddy's verse on that. Um, sounds amazing. Yeah, he killed it. He carried that. Yeah. Like, Kanye's cool, but, I mean, he, Roddy killed, like, killed it. Definitely. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that being said, three or four songs on a album of 27 is yeah. pretty, <laughs> it's pretty brutal ratio. <laughs> dismal. <know>? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That being said, those are three or four songs that I would have never heard or listened to if the album hadn't come out. So... There you go. Gonna take away some positivity from it. That's a thing, too, that I, this all these albums that came out have made me think. Am I happy or am I enjoying these... Because I still enjoy Donda, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm always happy for Kanye, but critically, that's my opinion. Yeah. Um, but I, I, that thought did come up to me, is whether I'm enjoying it just because I'm hearing from people I love again, or whether it's really that good, right? So, it's interesting, and I think time will tell. Definitely. Yeah. Um, on a time will tell note, I mean, it seems kind of silly to even talk about it already, because it only dropped a few days ago, but... You know, we don't have to go as deep on it. It's also, uh, as I mentioned earlier in the episode, I'm kind of cheating because this album, Certified Lover Boy, yeah. it did drop in September. Right. This album's about August. But you know what? We're going to break the rules because we're having <laughs> fun. We have some guests here and we want to uh, make sure they have as good of a time as possible. Wow. So we're going to touch on it. Perfect. Sounds good. So yeah, what'd you, what did you think about it? You tell me. Um, so, okay, 
The thing with Drake at this point is we know he's unwilling to change, really. He's unwilling to be anything but himself. And I think that this record is the drakiest Drake album yet. <laughs> he doubles down on everything that makes him him, for better or for worse. Yeah. And I think it's one of those records where it's almost it's almost critic proof in that what you think of the album will entirely depend on what you think of Drake and if you enjoy what Drake brings to the table, right? So, like, if you like the stupid bullshit that represents Drake and what he does, then you're gonna love this album. And if you don't, then you're probably gonna hate this shit. Yeah. Um, I am one of the guys that loves it. <laughs> <laughs> Me too, 100%. I'm glad you said it. Like, I almost feel, it's like almost a guilty pleasure of mine that oh, I've had yeah. for so long because he's just obviously such a piece of shit and like, <laughs> this album is the like, like... The epitome of it. It's like... Peak. It's peak piece of shit. Yeah. It's like, it's the gold standard for fuckboys. I, I love the toxicity though. It, but... But it's amazing. It's like a he created like it's it's artistic. It's ar artistic toxicity, male exactly. masculinity. Yeah. yeah, he yeah. he made like this beautiful ode to toxic masculinity, as yeah. he even says in the album description on Apple Music, yeah. which is hilarious. And I think this album succeeds more than his last few records do because. I feel like on Scorpion and on Views, he was kind of dancing all over the place and, and, and trying to be this like global pop star. Um, and he kind of lost touch of what, what people listen to Drake for. And people listen to Drake for those like just... Just the bad dude anthems, yeah. you know? Yeah. And he, I think he's, like, rediscovered that, and it's just, yeah, it's just an ode to being, like, a shitty guy. <laughs> and, yeah. And, like, I, I don't know, I, I, I kind of love it. I think it's an interesting album to compare to Donda, because I think Donda has higher highs and lower lows. Oh, absolutely. Whereas this record, it's kind of, sorry, the pull out an audio uh, engineer thing here but it yeah. feels like kind of more compressed you know where uh -huh. on the whole it's like not as bad but not quite as good mm -hmm. but like you can listen to it from start to finish and kind of enjoy the entire thing without having any moments of being like ooh like this is really bad or like ooh this is amazing you know yeah yeah I mean Definitely, it's it's hitting. It's much more consistent, like you said. Um, I don't think there's really one skip on it. Not to say yeah. that they're all great classics, but none of the songs bored me. They all change beats at interesting times. Some of them were leaks I had heard, but they had been changed a bit. That they're even better. The changes that they brought, which I liked. Um, but overall, really, like you said, views and Scorpion. He was pandering to an international crowd with like the Afrobeats and dancehall and all that 
Um, but I also feel like that's what made Drake what he is today. I mean, that was really a, a transcendent moment for him. He took rap where no rapper had taken it before. Because, like, let's say before him, you'll put Jay-Z, right, as the most globally successful rapper. Right. Um, but Drake really took it to a whole other level, at least on the business side. Well, sorry, not as much on the business side as Jay-Z, but culturally, he's taken it way further than any rapper's ever taken it before. Um so while I didn't necessarily love the dance hall phase, I do appreciate and respect what that brought to him and, and the standing it brought him. Um, and I'm I'm happy to have to say that he's like a Canadian legend and all that. <laughs> you know, he really is. Like, yeah, <laughs> like he, I mean, having grown up outside of Toronto, I've always felt like the guy owned the city, you know. Um, and coming here, he really he does in a way, and and to a greater extent, all of North American culture. He, he's that's why I think this album does the best is it demonstrates his self-awareness he's aware of of himself the, the shitty stuff he does how people perceive him what they think of him he plays on it he makes jokes about it he makes art out of it I'm nodding vigorously you can't see it yeah but I just want you to visualize that right now yeah he's a very calculated person and this put it on full display to me um, and let's say just musically going more in depth with it i think that this is the most or the best he's rapped rapped yes. on an entire project yes for a long time it may not Absolutely. like sound like nothing was the same let's say yeah or uh, sorry if you're reading this too late my bad um it might not be like pure bars and bangers like that without too much r&b stuff uh at least on first listen but if you're really going back to it you go through the slower beats he's rapping his ass off there um, yeah, I think on this album, the ratio of like groany bad lines to like actual good lines is like much, much better than yeah. probably almost any other record that he's put out. Yeah, he's mastered decornifying his own <laughs> raps basically. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, there's nothing corny there. Um, the puns were good, the punchlines were tight, mm -hmm. the beats were good. Um, I've seen a lot of people saying that they weren't as diverse or creative or experimental as they would have wanted but i mean this is drake at this point there's the argument could be made both ways like yeah. i feel like he does have room to make a mistake and try something different but at this point he hasn't missed so do you want to ruin the streak now by taking a risk or keep the streak going and, and that's the yeah. streak is going like have you seen the projected sales numbers for this thing was it at 700 ish last it's, it's close to 700k now yeah wow and um, there's a possibility he's going to take all top 10 songs of the Billboard 100, which has never been done before, and it's like mind-boggling to think about, yeah. you know? Especially in a time where there's no CD sales, no hard sales or anything, it's all streaming. Exactly. And album equivalents, it's harder than ever. It's just, it's just utter dominance. Yeah. And so, like you No said, single, too. No singles. And... That, that actually is a good point I want to talk about is um, the one interesting thing I've found about this album is like I don't really know there aren't really any songs that I would like listen to on the, their own you know like it's kind of an album you just want to throw on from start to finish and yeah like what I did with Scorpion I, I actually ended up really liking Scorpion because I made kind of my own version of that album like I trimmed it down to nine or ten songs and these were like nine or ten really great songs that I would love listening to at any other time. The rest of the album was just 
awful, but like I, I don't even know what I would trim this album down to, kind of what you're saying, there yeah. are no skips, but at the same time there are no like definite standout highlights either. Right, I mean, yeah, I mean, thinking about it, <sighs> Knife Talk is not bad, but that's 21 Savage's moment. Mm-hmm. Drake does it does his thing too, but that's definitely Savage's moment. Um, what was the other one that was? I like No Friends in the Industry. That I one agree. I, enjoyed. Um, I agree. But again, I don't know if that's gonna be playing on the radio. You know, like for sure. No, and way too sexy. <clears throat> yeah. W- <laughs> Wait, where would even begin with that song? Yeah. Um, man, the Kawhi Leonard cameo like literally made my jaw what drop. What a moment. One of the best music video moments I can even think of, honestly. Yeah. Um, but even that song, it's like, is is it a great song? I don't know if it's a great song. It's 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 funny. It's fun as hell. You know, yeah. it's um. The videos. The video is like amazing. Yeah. Is it like, like if you were to think of like top songs of the year, would you put way too sexy in there? I don't know. <laughs> you know. Well, depends what you define by top song, right? For sure, for sure. And, and again, you know, it's all subjective, of course. But yeah, like all of his previous albums, I think have had like really standout tracks and maybe we just need time to go on to kind of you know have those tracks kind yeah. of sift themselves out from uh, the rest of the album but yeah. like i don't know and I, I don't even necessarily mean it in a bad way it's just like i'd rather just put the record on and listen to it through than go through and pick out individual songs to listen to me too and i feel like that's just a byproduct of the um, the playlist there i think for sure. Is that everyone, they know that they're, you're just going to take the songs that you like, put it in a playlist, and you're going to listen to that. So they, that's why Drake panders to people, because he knows some people want his Afrobeat tracks, some yeah. people want the dancehall ones, some people want the rap ones, the R&B ones, and they're just going to dissect his album anyways. And there's no way to make everyone happy in one album otherwise, right? And it's always going to leave people unsatisfied. For sure. It's a tough position to be in, especially when you're, it's your art. Um... Something I found interesting too, uh, like Donda, tons of features on this album. Yeah. But none of them even nearly as good as any of the features on Donda. That's what I was gonna say. I was gonna ask you, like, how do you think he placed them compared to Ye? But yeah, no, Kanye just seemed to get the best out of everyone. They all gave him really personal, in-depth, um, introspective verses. You know, they didn't give the the braggadocio, like yeah. the flossing, they gave real in-depth stuff like the baby's verse on, on Hurricane. It's way better than the ones on Girls Like Girls or Girls Love Girls. Oh, for sure. But Girls Love Girls oh. Oh, my is night. a banger. <laughs> it's a huge banger. And then I really meant to open up us discussion, uh, our discussion on this album um, by just congratulating Drake on Coming out coming as a out, lesbian. Yeah, like, exactly. That's a big deal in the industry, you know? I don't know the actual definition of lesbian. Does it just mean that you like a girl or that it's two girls that like each other? Um, I think at this point, uh, being a lesbian just means um, you're someone that Drake likes. <laughs> uh, yeah, probably have to apologize to a few people for that one. Uh, that's okay. Um, but yeah, no, the, the features, it just seems like... Drake is more content to just have people on his songs. He doesn't really yeah. care about how good they are. He always wants the show to kind of be about himself, you know? You can also feel they didn't get in the room together to do it. Yeah, 
Definitely. Where I can definitely hear that, like, again, on Hurricane, the baby was there. The weekend was there. Like, it w these aren't mailed-in verses and hooks. 100%. You can't 100%. get that kind of... And that's really what it was, and that's the strength of Donda, in my opinion. The ultimate strength in Donda, to go back to it, is just the way that he manages to orchestrate. Um, and something that his protege, like Travis Scott, has mastered, too, more and more these days, is to just get everyone to do the best that they can do for whatever... Whatever the best that they can do, however short or long it is, is what they're going to keep. And everything that's not their best, you cut. Yeah. <clears throat> and that's what Donda is, and I don't think Drake does that. But... You know, he's chasing hits, not art as much. Although it is art, but mm -hmm. it's not his priority. It's not. No. And, you know, there's not necessarily anything wrong with that either. I think it's just as valid in its mm -hmm. own way. It's a different art, really. Yeah. It's just you're just chasing different objectives in the end of results. Um, which I think comes to uh, kind of my concluding point on this discussion is... I wanted to frame this whole thing kind of around Donda versus Certified Lover Boy, and, and that's <laughs> kind of how all of music media is framing this whole thing right now. Right. But I don't think they really need to be compared or really should be compared because they're two extremely different approaches to, you know, extremely popular hip hop and extremely right. popular music. You right. Know? I feel that way even about like between their own albums. They're, they each made, especially Kanye, but Drake too made efforts to separate each album from each other sonically, subject matter wise, more or less. Um, they try to push themselves forward and not do what they've already done. Um, but yeah, just uh, at one point, I think Kanye takes more risks, Drake doesn't. Drake succeeds more commercially for it. Um, but Kanye is, builds a more loyal, more ardent fan base because yep. of it. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's fair to compare them. I don't even think it's fair to compare their own albums against each other. Um, but having said that, I do see myself going back to Certified Lover Boy more. Okay. Like on the train ride I just came in from, for those who, who don't know, I came back from Montreal. The train, have a nice long ride. Um, he spent the entire time thinking about what he wanted to say on this podcast. Exactly, just writing down notes. But definitely going back to listen to both. I listened to both each once. Uh, and the one I played that extra time in the end was Certified Lover Boy. Damn. Yeah. And there you have it, folks. Even though I think Don does a better piece of art. And that that's basically exactly how I think about it too like yeah. it doesn't really make sense to compare them but if I did I would say they're basically about equal in my eyes yeah. just for completely different reasons hmm. I think they're both pretty good you know I don't think yeah. either album's great by any no. means no not at all um, but I think that I think we could have gotten a lot worse from like our two biggest hip hop artists, you yeah. know. I, I I think as fans, you know, we should put aside this whole Drake versus Kanye thing. At least and let them squabble and let them sort out their own bullshit. We don't need to get involved for now. Why don't we just be happy that exactly we got like almost fucking four hours of new music from two guys that are 
I mean, I don't want to say operating at the prime, but... I could say Drake is still. I'd say Drake is, and Kanye is, is again, not maybe not quite a return to form, but definitely flashes of that former brilliance enough to make it worthwhile listening to. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, I mean... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's the long, pent-up discussion. Um, you guys got to hear magic in the making, so good for you guys. Good for us. Uh, that's going to conclude today's uh, <laughs> today's <laughs> guest lecture. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My master class. Exactly. Yeah. Um, thanks so much for being a part of this, and you know what? Maybe a few months down the line, we can have like a Donda and CLB revisited. I'd be. Discussion. I'd love to. I had fun. Thank you for having me. I'd love to do that, honestly. Um, or any other, and like, there's gonna be definitely a Rihanna album coming out, a Kendrick album coming oh. out, all that kind of stuff. So as soon as that's out, let me know, and I'd love to be back. Thank you again. Again, yep. this is uh, Phil Mass. He is a fantastic <laughs> producer of hip hop, R and B. Um, we'll be seeing a lot from this guy in the future. So keep your eye out. Thanks for coming out, man. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. Okay. That was a lot of fun, but it's time to get back to the important stuff, which is the arbitrary listing of albums completely subjectively by yours truly. So, number two for the month of August 2021 is Glow On by Turnstile. Hell fucking yeah, baby, is all I can say about this record. Um, Turnstile is, with about 400 scare quotes around this, a hardcore band. Um, but they've never really been a hardcore band. But they've always been a hardcore band. They're, you want to talk about controversial and divisive acts? These guys are right up there. Um, and some of the most controversial. But that being said, they're also not because everyone fucking loves them and everyone should love them. So, Turnstile have been making hardcore for years now, but they've always been different because they've been willing to have fun with their music is kind of the easiest way I can describe it. Um, their record, um, Nonstop Feeling from a few years ago has a I mean, the picture, the front cover is a picture of the lead singer without a shirt on, yelling into a mic, while, like, people are kind of moshing in the background. Um, that album had songs that sound like 311 songs, Beastie Boys songs. So, this is a band that's not afraid to take uncool music and bring it into the mix and make it awesome. Uh, their last record, Time and Space, saw them bringing in some elements of R&B and lots of kind of electronic uh, kind of passages between songs. They even had a song on their last record produced by Diplo, of all people. And again, this is a hardcore band, okay? So they've always been very adventurous, um, always very willing to step out of the box. And it's always been fun. They're 
results have been kind of mixed in how well it's worked out for them, but they've always just been a universally loved band because of their positivity and just how inclusive they are with people and sounds and just throwing everything at the wall and making sure it works or waiting to see what works while also just sticking to hardcore's fundamentals which are you know the riffs the breakdowns the shout along vocals that stuff is all still there um but they've always been throwing in a lot of other stuff too anyway like i was saying it's been kind of a mixed bag for them in the past for how well this has worked on their latest record it's like oh my god how do i even describe this it's like their previous efforts have been like like a remote control rc car and this new album is like fucking nascar okay it takes everything that they've been doing everything they've been trying to doing and it just leaps beyond what they've been able to do in the past. Like, this record is like a hundred times better than anything they've ever made. And they already made great music, but this is where everything just finally clicks. And it is just wall to wall bangers front to back from this record. So I'm gonna go ahead and say that this has been the most listenable record that's come out this year for me. Um, it's only 25 minutes long, but the first weekend that it came out, I, I think I listened to the whole record like 15 times in the first two days, because as soon as it would over, as soon as it would over, as soon as it was over, I would just turn it right back on again and, and let it go again, because why would I want to listen to anything else? Um, it, it's just front to back, hit after hit with this record. Um, the riffs are all so big and dumb and simple and amazing. And the grooves on this record, I, like, I think this is the dance record of the year for me because nothing has made me want to get up and shake my shit like this stuff does. And again, I, this is still a hardcore record, okay? I want to make that clear. Um, but the frontman, Brendan Yates... He doesn't like scream, scream. He uh, he has a very melodic vocal delivery. Um, the where you know other bands would like scream. He kind of does more like a shout. Uh, so it, it's very palatable, very digestible, very easy for people to listen to, whether you like hardcore or not. And even the breakdown passages, they just sound like fun. You know, anyone would want to kind of get up and mosh to this it doesn't matter if you're into hardcore or not it's just the way that it's been packaged and delivered and written is just so listenable and just so enjoyable like it's really hard to describe how enjoyable this record is it's like a it's like candy in album form like you just can't get enough um this thing is packed to the gill with hooks uh, every song is memorable in its own way. Um, the record was produced by this guy who has worked with a lot of pop artists in the past, worked with the M83 in the past. So he brings a really hi-fi, glossy sheen to the record that 
again, like, pushes them beyond what they've ever been able to do in terms of their sound. I feel like if this album had come out in the late 90s or even the early 2000s, these these guys would be dominating alt-rock stations, for sure. Um, I don't know what else to say. It just sounds so good. It's a collection of some of the best, most fun rock, hardcore songs you're gonna hear all year. Um, Blood Orange, of all people, comes in and uh, contributes to not one but two songs on the record. One of them being like a straight up R&B track, the other one being kind of more in the vein of like a pop punky song that you'd expect to hear from Turnstile. Um, Julian Baker does some background vocals in here somewhere. Um, so you really get the sense that it's kind of a, a communal, very community focused effort where they wanted anyone they could possibly get their hands on to come in and contribute to the record and just have a good time making it. And that's what you get when you hear this. It's just a good time. There's no way you can not listen to this record and... Wait. Not... No way you can not... Listening to this record is a lot of fun. <laughs> Let's leave it at that, okay? So, coming in at number two... Turnstile, Glow On. Just honestly, if you're having a bad day... Put this shit on, and I promise you, half an hour later, you're going to be feeling a lot better. Alright? Turnstile, glow on. Okay. Coming in at number one. So, I had to think a lot about this entry, because I think, technically in terms of what I listened to the most, what I will say enjoyed the most in August, Turnstile would probably be the number one record. But that's not all that music is really about to me anyway. Um, if something comes along that is impressive in ways beyond just simple base carnal enjoyment, I have to take that into consideration. And this last record that I want to talk about is just astounding in so many ways that I had no choice really but to slot this in as my number one record. And this is a record that, you know, does have a good shot at coming into that album of the year spot. <laughs> Just because of what a marvel this thing is. So number one for the month of August 2021 is Sinner Get Ready by Lingua Ignata. So Lingua Ignata is the stage name of Kristen Hader. Um, she is an American artist. We'll go with artist because I don't even know how else to describe her. Who makes... Probably some of the most harrowing music I've ever heard in my entire life. Uh, she first came to attention to me and honestly most people 
with the release of Caligula, which I think came out back in 2018 or 2019. And Caligula was this monolith of a record which saw her combining her kind of classically trained operatic vocal stylings with this kind of post-industrial noisy soundscape um, to just extraordinarily chilling results. Um, it was definitely one of the best records to come out that year, but it was also extremely difficult to listen to because the subject matter was just insanely grim, um, talking about, you know, suicidal ideation and, you know, instances of assault and, and, and sexual abuse from her past and kind of bring it all in a very confront confrontational manner musically on the record where she would be just as willing to let off an operatic note and, and, and move into a just blood-curling shriek and it's one of the most emotionally intense records that I've ever heard in my life. Um, an extremely impressive work, but definitely something that you're not going to visit that often because of how extreme it was. Um, I love extreme shit. I love extreme music. I love hearing people push themselves and their arts to the limit, the, the furthest limit it can possibly get to, and we definitely heard that on Caligula. But at some point you have to consider the listenability. Um, and that record didn't quite, you know, make it into my top 10 at the end of the year because as impressive as it was, it's it just wasn't something that I was ever gonna sit down and like, Oh, I'm gonna throw this on, you know, while I'm making dinner or something like that. No, it's something you have to actively engage with and to actively engage with something like that over and over again is just an incredibly draining experience. So I was admittedly a little bit hesitant going into this new record, Sinner Get Ready. Um, I had heard that she had ditched a lot of the kind of post-industrial um, noise for music more rooted in Americana and, 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 and rootsier uh, stylings, which was, was kind of hesitant for me because that's certainly not a genre that I'm into at all. Um, and I knew that the record she mentioned was going to kind of be uh, a study on kind of like the Bible Belt of America and uh, Christianity's effect on culture and, you know, like the, the kind of hypocrisies that lie within that. And again, it, it, it sound, sounds cool, like it sounds like a cool subject to me, but again, I was very wary of whether or not this was going to be something that I wanted to listen to, <laughs> you know, it, like, I'm sure it, it was going to end up being like another Caligula thing where it was something that I would more appreciate than actually enjoy. Um, so anyway, the album itself 
got around to listening to it and sonically it's definitely a lot less intense than Caligula. Um, I think there's only one real instance of her screaming. Um, not that I have anything against screaming, of course, but she's like almost too good at it. It's like, like kind of scary when she does it, it like freaks me out. Um, but just to give you a sense of kind of how the tone is different than Caligula. Um, what's really interesting about this record is it kind of eschews almost any traditional instrumentation that you'd expect to hear on almost any record. Um, it's like a lot of the instruments that she plays are these really old traditional instruments that people haven't picked up and used in decades. Uh, she plays a lot of them herself, which is a really impressive feat that she, you know, took the time to learn how to play these things that no one really knows how to play anymore. And what you end up with is this extremely unique sounding record that doesn't really sound like anything because no one out there is, is even remotely trying to make this kind of music. And not only that, she incorporates a lot of, uh, I want to say, like, god music, almost. But in this ironic way that, that really adds to the creepiness of the entire record, um, you get kind of interpolations of old psalms and uh, hymns that she kind of twists into this kind of dark subversion of what you expect to hear from those kinds of songs. And uh, it really ends up being this um, kind of fascinating commentary on Christian culture and, and, and Christianity and, and what it means to be someone who has faith, but at the same time, you know, acts against people and, and, and acts immoral, but kind of leans back on that faith to justify their immorality. Um, it's, yeah, it's a big commentary on, you know, hard R Republicans and, and those Christianity, those crazy fucking Christian people down there. Um, it's certainly an interesting contrast to Donda, which is, you know, Jesus this, Jesus that, praise God. And then you have Lingua Ignata with this album kind of drawing from a lot of the same sounds, but flipping them on their head and kind of revealing the kind of dark underbelly of all of that praising and, and, and all of that kind of secularity. So what I'm sound what what I'm talking about doesn't really sound super listenable, I'm sure. Um, and that's what makes this record really special is because it actually is. Um, she's done a fantastic job of making this kind of concept record, this 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 study on Americana and Christianity, but will also writing some really great songs. Um, like when I think about Caligula, I think about this 
one long, dark, scary mass of a record. You know, there's no real songs that stand out. It's just kind of like this big, really harrowing slog of a record. And I mean that in the best way possible. Uh, but on this record, it, the songs themselves are memorable. Um, she uses, you know, different instrumentation for every track. She relies on traditional, almost piano music for a few songs as well. And the songwriting is, is just top-notch. There are actual memorable, almost hooks in this album, which is something that for an artist as experimental as Lingua Ignata is, that's not what you're, you're going into it expecting or even wanting. But the fact that she was able to talk about this dark subject matter and, and use these really untraditional instruments and, um, but still make compelling songs that are memorable is a, it's just an incredible feat. And that's why I felt like I had to give this number one spot to her this month because anyone can make weird music. Um, anyone can make challenging music. Um, not anyone can make catchy, well-written music, but almost no one can make a combination of all three of those. And that's what she successfully pulled off with this record. So, Coming in, number one for the month of August 2021 is Sinner Get Ready by Lingua Ignata. Guys, I think this was the longest episode yet, so if you stuck through it, kudos to you. Um, lots of great content though, so I don't blame you, right? Thank you again to Phil for joining me. Um, great discussion, lots of interesting points raised. What do you guys think? CLB or Donda? Which is the better record? I know uh, all the other five albums I talked about. Who gives a shit, right? This is the only thing that people care about. Kanye or Drake? Let me know. I'd love to hear from you. And until next time, this has been Phil May with PH5. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>